had a good time, whether you were here or whether you went and traveled. Anyone travel? Who traveled? You traveled? You guys stay home a little bit? About an hour away, okay. That's that's traveling. Anybody go real far? Anybody have to fly? No? Good. Good deal. <laughs> you were flying on the highway, I hear. Okay. I've done that. I've done that. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to get into the word we've been talking about. <clears throat> the believer's authority, kingdom authority, and again, for some of us, this may be new. This may be a new thing to think about. This may be a new term uh, to associate with the Christian lifestyle. A lot of times when we think about becoming a Christian or, uh, you know, uh, making Jesus the Lord of our life or Savior, um, one of the things we don't think about or probably haven't heard about a whole lot in association with that is authority and power, uh, having an empowered life. A lot of us, you know, we think about heaven, and we think about Jesus coming and taking away our sins. Um, uh, when we even talk about that, we talk about taking away our sins in the sense of erasing everything from our past, but not giving us the power to actually control it. <clears throat> so we're going to uh, discover that this authority and this power that we have um, gives us control and authority in the earth. And so we've been taking several weeks to, to cover this. I, have, I, I can't cover it all, recap it all tonight, um, but we have discovered quite a bit. We went all the way back to Genesis at one point, and we discovered what Jesus was, uh, or what God had intended when he created the earth, when he put man on the earth in the beginning. Uh, what was his original plan? And that wasn't to just have, you know, uh, Adam and Eve roaming around in the garden and, and not really knowing what they're doing and just enjoying uh, paradise and, 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 and uh, you know, living in the nude, you know, like we all think about. Uh, they were here to govern and control this realm. Remember, we said this about authority. <clears throat> we said this about authority, that authority, you have to have two things. One, you have to be authorized. Someone has to put you in charge. Amen? Someone's got to be in charge. Remember, you have to be in charge to put someone else in charge. We all remember when we were in school, maybe in elementary school, and your teacher, she would leave the classroom. And is, was anyone ever made a classroom monitor? Anyone ever done that? Uh, I'm going to put you in charge. Usually it was the good kid, you know, the A honor roll student that never got in trouble, and they only never gotten in trouble because they were so, so shy they never talked anyways. You know, it was always that kid that was the standout, always had the star on their chest or whatever. And so the teacher would say, uh, you know, Ashley's in charge because my wife was probably that person, so shy and so quiet that, you know, never got in trouble, was a little princess. Ashley's in charge, and if uh, she will tell me if anyone was misbehaving or talking while I was gone. Okay, well, the teacher had to give Ashley the authority. The teacher could not, uh, uh, another student couldn't say, well, I think Ashley should be in charge, or I think Brian should be in charge. I think that he should be in control. It's not theirs to give away authority to. So the teacher had to give authorization to Ashley. The second thing that has to be in play when we're talking about authority 
is territory. You have to have something, a realm, a territory that you're in control of. You can't say, I'm king or I'm in charge and you don't have anything to rule over. Right? Well, you're in charge of what? Who? When are you in charge? So there's a domain. That's where we get the word dominion from. Dominion is a control over a domain or a territory. So two things. One, you have to be authorized by someone who's in charge. Two, you have to be given a realm or a territory, a sphere of influence. Well, God, in Genesis chapter 1, he authorized man, verse 26, gave him authority. Now, was God someone who could give authority? Yes, because he was in authority. He is a king in heaven, and so he gave away authority over what? The earth, this realm, the territory that we live on and live in on a regular basis. So he authorized Adam and Eve and then gave them a territory. Well, we know Adam and Eve gave up that authority, gave up that territory. Why? Because they sinned. Your ability to be in control and to be in authority will never surpass your ability to submit to authority. Ask any military person. You're not going to be in charge very long if you can't submit to authority yourself. If you can't do things the way someone else tells you to do them, then nothing's going to be doing things you tell them to do. Okay? So your, your authority will never go beyond your ability to submit to authority. And so we've looked at several things. We saw that Jesus, I know this goes against contrary belief and what we've heard all of our lives. Jesus did not die on a cross, and he did not rise again from the grave, uh, uh, or that was not his purpose for coming to the earth. Jesus did not come to die on a cross. He did, and that was in the plan, but that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to bring kingdom, the kingdom of heaven back to the earth, the kingdom that Adam and Eve had lost. And so we saw from day one, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near you. It's within your reach, within your grasp. That's what that at hand means. That's all he talked about. The kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of, of God is like that. He was constantly talking about a kingdom, restoring a kingdom. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus was obsessed with a kingdom and a kingdom mindset. And so the reason he died, the reason he rose again, was to get us back in the kingdom. Well, how did he do that? Well, then we saw in Ephesians where Paul starts talking about being in Christ and what Jesus made available to us through his death, burial, and resurrection wasn't just access to heaven, wasn't just forgiveness of sins. No, he gave us authority, restored back to us control in the earth. But more Christians are being controlled rather than being in control. Most of us are not like what Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, Jimmy, if you could go ahead and punch that one in. I don't think I put that one in there. But Romans chapter 5, verse 17, that's been our theme verse 
through this whole thing. Because Paul makes a statement that a lot of us look over. Paul says something that most of us, we don't know, is actually in the Bible. But he says that we are to reign in life. What does that even mean? That word reign means to have control. For if by one man's offense, death reigned or death had control through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Most of us are barely making it through life. Most Christians are being drugged through life. Most Christians are in control or uh, uh, being controlled by something else rather than being in control. But this verse says that if you have received the abundance of grace through the cross and the gift of righteousness through the cross, you will reign in life. Through Jesus Christ. So it's not on your own. It's nothing that we're doing. This is the, the mix-up that a lot of people have. Is as soon as we talk about reigning in life or being in control. Oh, uh, because to us, we associate being in control as doing your own thing. Let me show you something. God. Would we say uh, that God is supreme in authority? He's, he's the head guy, Right? That means nothing controls God. But let me tell you this. God cannot do whatever he wants. Period. He can only do what he says and what is in his word. But see, we associate with, I'm in control with, I'll do whatever I feel like doing. Whatever I want to do. Here's one thing God cannot do. It is impossible for God to do. He can't lie. He cannot lie. It is impossible for him to tell a lie. Here's another one. God cannot change. He cannot change. He cannot be different than who he is. One more. He cannot think. He cannot think. Well, I know what you're thinking. What about that verse that says, for I know the thoughts that I have for you? Well, he doesn't think the way we think. How many of you have ever said, Oh, I never thought about that. How many of you have ever said that? How many of you have ever said, I just thought of something? God has never said those words. God cannot sit up in heaven and go, oh, I just thought of something. Why didn't I think of that sooner? The Bible says he's omniscient, which means he knows everything there is to know about everything at the same time. He knows everything. So he can't... Nothing ever occurs to God. There are no surprises to God. You can't surprise him. God, they just fired me. They just laid me off. Can you believe this, God? And he's not sitting up there thinking, what are we going to do now? That did not just occur to him. He knew before you got out of bed that morning and went to your job that they were going to let you go home and to never come back. He knew that. You can't surprise him. That doesn't occur to him. He's not walking out your life with you. We think that he's just walking, you know, foot in foot with us, you know, hand in hand. And as we're, you know, going through life, he's going through surprises to us or surprises to him. If it occurs to us, it occurs to him. That doesn't happen. Okay? So this sovereign, this supreme in authority, this control idea, we have to get beyond 
I'm in control, that means I can do what I want to do. Being in control means that you're not being controlled. When you are in control of the earth, that means that Satan should not be controlling you. Well, I just can't help but sinning. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You sure can. Because Jesus died on a cross, and he shed his blood for the remission of sin. But we think that Jesus' power on the cross only washes away our sins, but doesn't actually give us the power to not sin. But he did. And we'll talk about that, because there's a, a message of grace that's going around right now that is terrible for the church. It's destroying the church. It's destroying Christians. It's destroying those that are coming into the kingdom because they're coming in on false pretenses. They're coming in for the wrong reasons because they think, oh, if I just go in the kingdom, no matter what I do, grace has already been made available to me, and no matter how bad I get, I am still in a position with God. I never have to uh, ask for forgiveness of my sins. There's people out there right now. There's a guy out there right now preaching that 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all. He's preaching right now that that's not for believers. That's a false statement. That's absolutely for Christians. If we sin, we need to be the first ones to get it right. We need to be the first ones to confess, God, I've messed up. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I thank you that you have given me power over sin, and I don't have to live according to that sin any longer. And I ask you to forgive me. You shed your blood so that I can be forgiven of my sins. And I, that's absolutely part of the life of a Christian. So we have to understand these terms. We have to understand what this authority and what this control is about. This control on the earth doesn't mean we can go about doing our own thing, living how we want, and we're always going to be in a position of righteousness. God sees me uh, as righteousness. He sure does. But there's still a holiness factor. Why in the world... Did Paul say, be holy as the one you serve is holy? Why did he say that? Because we got to be holy. There's a, there's a demand there. Okay, I don't know how I got off on all that, but we've been talking about authority. Lastly, I want to touch on this a couple weeks ago. Last week on, for Thanksgiving, we didn't get into anything on authority. Um. Uh, we just had a quick message on Thanksgiving, uh, but the week before that, when we last spoke on authority, we talked about how Jesus is the head of the church. We saw that in Ephesians, and we are the body. Many times in the Bible, uh, Paul and uh, God himself refers to us, the church, as the body of Christ. Now, again, I got to get this literal I thank God that Paul used a body because we all have bodies. This should be easy for us to understand. Jesus is the head. We are the body. But how many of you look at me right now and say, oh, there's Pastor Mark's head. Oh, and there's his body. We don't make that different th differentiation. We don't, we don't make a separation between the two. We just say, there's Pastor Mark. So the church ought to be seen as Jesus in the earth. Jesus is the head. Where is Jesus at? In heaven. 
Bible says that he is seated, sitting down at the right hand of the Father. So here's God sitting on his throne. Here's Jesus, the head of the church, sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father. What does that right hand mean? What, what is that all about? We don't even know. There's no right hand to the president. There's a vice president. That's not the same. This, this isn't vice president. This is right hand of the Father. Right hand means equal to the supreme authority. Equal to. Which means that Jesus has the ability to do things that God does, but he's not in control of God. Okay, we understand in this. Okay, so if Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he's the head, we're the body, where are we at? Right hand of the Father. Seated in heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, we have been raised together. We are seated together with Jesus in heavenly places, which means, and over in Ephesians chapter 1, again, this is just recap, I, I can't show you all these verses. We've got CDs. They're out online. We ne you, you, need to, you need to catch this. Ephesians chapter 1 said that Jesus is above all things, and everything is under his feet. Well, what does that term mean? That means that nothing is in control. He's above all things. Every name that is named is cancer a name. It, do you, how many of you would say that cancer is in charge of Jesus? No, Jesus is above that. How many of you would say that poverty is in charge or in control of Jesus? Absolutely not. How many of you would say that depression is in charge or in control of Jesus? Absolutely not. Those aren't things that are named, and Jesus is above, in control of all those things. Well, if we're the body, that means we're in control of all that also. So if poverty, depression, cancer, sickness, disease, flu, lack, if any of these things are taking place in our lives, it's because we haven't taken authority over it. It's not because you're not in authority over it. It's because you are, because you're seated with Jesus in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Remember, we started this whole thing by showing you in Habakkuk that... Um, God said himself, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, what they don't know. A lot of us haven't been walking in authority over sickness, and we've been letting sickness just run rampant in our bodies because we just didn't know, I can actually speak to that thing and tell it to go. We've been having financial trouble or financial issues because we haven't been standing against the finances uh, that we have and say, you will come into alignment with the kingdom of God. You will come into alignment. God wants his best for me. God doesn't want me in lack. God doesn't want me barely getting by. God doesn't want me only looking at what I have and always struggling and worrying about how I'm going to get this. He wants me to be able to not be worried about what I have so I can be looking outward and helping other people. But if we don't know that, then we have believers that are struggling financially putting up with sickness, depressed in their minds, then not knowing, I've got control over all that. I have authority. I have authority because it's in the earth and I have been seated above that. Okay? 
So that's where we left off. Jesus restored us in the kingdom. We are in a position of authority with him. He has empowered us. He has equipped us. So I want to start getting into how we uh, uh, implement this authority, uh, associate this authority in our lives. I want to start looking at that. The first way that I want to look at, and this is going to tie right in with what we've been doing on Sundays. We just wrapped up a series on words where I just really broke down words. But today, we're going to look at words of authority. Words of authority. <clears throat> so go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. First thing you got to know is in a kingdom, words are the most powerful entity there is. Words cannot be overridden. Words cannot be changed in a kingdom. I'm not talking United States of America. I'm not talking to democracy or republic. In a kingdom, you don't vote. In a kingdom, there are no opinions. In a kingdom, there's no say-so. In a kingdom, there's no, well, this is how I like to do it. Or I think we should change this. God's kingdom doesn't operate that way. So when a king speaks, his word, his words, what he says, they become law. When they speak those words, they become, it, it becomes law. Whatever he just said, that's the way it has to be. Over in Ecclesiastes, Bible says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Not where the king is. Notice this. Not where the king is. doesn't say where the king is, there is power. It says where the word of the king is, there is power. A king himself is actually bound by what he says. And we just said that a minute ago with God. God being sovereign. God being supreme in authority. God being having all control, all powerful, all knowing. Even God is bound by something, what he says. Quick example, we've said this a million times, but I just need to draw this picture, draw this conclusion. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God made a statement and he said, I'm going to create man in my image, in my likeness, and I'm going to put him in charge over the earth. He will have all control he will have all dominion. Who did God say is in charge of the earth? Man, we are. So he said it with his words. So guess what he just did? He just bound himself from being able to do anything in the earth. Because he's not man. He's not flesh. He's not housed in a flesh suit like you and I. The Bible says that God is a spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So by his words, by what he says, he's just locked himself out. Well, God, God's all powerful. He could change that. No, he can't. Because if God doesn't honor his word, nobody else will. See, if you don't keep your word, nobody else is going to keep your word for you. You tell someone, yeah, I'll be there at 4 o'clock. And you don't show up. Next time you tell them I'm going to be there, there's going to be a little thing in the back of their head. And you do that enough, you devalue your word enough, when you tell someone I'm going to do this, 
okay? If he does it, I'll be surprised. Because you've just broken your word. You haven't even honored your own word, so why should I value it? So God is a man of his word, literally. When he says something, it has to come to pass, and it has to be that way. That's why words are the most powerful entity in the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at some things. Matthew chapter 7. I told you before that we're going slow on purpose. I'm spelling things out. Please do your best to stay with me. I know it's Wednesday. I know that we've been working all day and we've got to get up early tomorrow and get the kids to school and, and get to work ourselves. But this is the most valuable thing that's going on in your life, period. So let's stay here. Let's focus on this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having what? Authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus was teaching in the synagogues and people were amazed. People were astonished. They said, wow, what this man speaks different. He hasn't done a miracle yet. He hasn't done a sign and a wonder. He hasn't cast any demons out. He has spoken and they're astonished by his authority. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 verse 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So again, his words are sounding different. Notice in the, in the first, first passage we just saw, Matthew chapter 7, that when he spoke, they said, he doesn't speak like the scribes. He was saying the same thing that other people were saying. It was how he was saying it. The content was the same. It was how he was saying it that showed authority. So now he's come to his own people. He's come to his own home, his own crowd. And they're saying the same thing. He's speaking different. Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And here it is again. They were astonished or amazed at his teaching. He's not doing works and signs and wonders at this point. He's teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So again, they are comparing him to other people that have done the same thing he's been doing. And he's sounding different. Now watch what happens here. Verse 23. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is in church, by the way. This is in the synagogue. It's sitting out on the streets. But Jesus rebuked him, saying with his words, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, uh, had convulsed him, and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now look, turn over to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're seeing here that Jesus 
is speaking with authority. He's demonstrating authority through his words, through just what he's saying, commanding, rebuking, saying, teaching, preaching with authority. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? So notice here, how did he take care of the storm? Speaking. Words. Words. Notice he didn't pray to God about it. He didn't say, God, take away this storm. Who has authority in the earth? Man. Flesh. Jesus knew God doesn't have any authority over this storm. He's a spirit, and he's in heaven. If this storm is going away, somebody in a flesh suit, like me, is going to speak to it and take care of it. He did not speak to that storm, and the storm went away because he was Jesus, the son of the living God. He spoke to the storm, and the storm went away because he qualified for Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I will create man in my image. And in my likeness. And he will have dominion on the earth. You have to qualify. You have to qualify to walk in authority. And the first qualification is being in flesh. Okay? Jesus is in the flesh at this point. And they were afraid and marveled saying to him, who, what, who can this be for he commands? Commands. And look, they're marveling. They haven't seen anything like this. That means up to this point, there was nobody on the face of the planet operating the way God uh, uh, designed man to operate. They weren't seeing this on a regular basis. They weren't seeing human beings, people in flesh, speaking to storms and casting out demons and even teaching and preaching the word of God like Jesus was. That's why they're so amazed. If it was an everyday occurrence, they'd be like, oh, another one. No, not another one. The only one, the only one that will dare speak to a demon and cast it out. The only one that will dare talk to a storm and it will cease. The only one that will teach the, and read the word of God with such authority and such power. Nobody else is doing this. So watch as we go on here. Verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. Jesus had already told this spirit to come out of the man. Commanded. He didn't ask. He didn't suggest. He commanded, come out of that man. Okay? 
let's see, where are we at? For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. And he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding on the mountains, so they begged him that he would permit them. They had to ask his permission to go into the swine. Who's in control here? Who's in control in this story? Is the demon in control? Did he say, well, fine, Jesus, I'll just go in these swine over here. No. Jesus is in control. He's in authority. He's, he, they're asking his permission. Let me ask you a question. Did the sickness that's in your body or that has come on your, did it ask your permission to be in your body? It should have. Did that poverty and that lack in your finances, did it ask your permission to come into your bank account that belongs to you? No. It didn't ask permission. It's just been showing up, walking around. And you know as well as I do, children do it all the time. We'll, they'll get away with as much as they can until you bring authority. Okay. These things need to start asking our permission. I know that sounds weird, but sickness needs to ask your permission. That headache needs to ask your permission. Can I come into your head and bother you and make you have to turn out the lights and go to sleep and have to get off work early and have to take all, the, all that medication? Can I, can I do that today? Matthew 16, 18. Whatever you bind on earth, is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Who is in control here? You ever walked into a, a classroom where the kids are just going crazy and you're thinking, who is in charge? I know there was times when we were in children's ministry, I'm sure some parents came in and were like, who is in charge here? Because to me, it looks like these kids are running the show. I know I've walked into some rooms and I'm like, who is telling who to do what right now? Because allowing sickness and poverty or depression or lack or anger or fear or hatred, allowing those things to run around in your body is like allowing your kids to do whatever they want in your house. It's that bad. So we've got to start taking control. So how do we take control? Well, that's what we're looking at. Verse 34, when those who fed them, uh, 33, back up to 33. Then the demons went out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place in the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, came to Jesus, and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right man, in his right mind. So... Jesus, taking authority, has just saved this man. And they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he had been demon-possessed, was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. 
First thing you have to see, I've just read you four different passages where Jesus was teaching, preaching, rebuking, commanding, saying. First thing you have to understand, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. (laughs) You have no authority without words. Where the word of the king is, there is power. A lot of times we're wanting the presence of God to show up on a situation. A lot of times we think that if God would just show up, get this, God could show up on the scene, but if he says nothing, nothing will happen. One of the statements that we made during our series on words was that you and your words are one and the same. If you want God to show up on the scene, speak his word. Because where, it doesn't say where the king is, there is power. It says where the word of the king is, there is power. You want the power of the king to show up? Start speaking his word. I'll tell you right now, things will control you as long as you don't say anything to it. And I don't, I do not mean, get this, watch this, I do not mean about it. Because here's what we do. We talk about our headache. We talk about the bank account. We talk about the depression. We talk about our marriage that's falling apart. But we don't ever talk to it. Jesus did not turn to his disciples and say, you know, I have control over that demon-possessed man right there. He didn't turn to his disciples and say, did you know I have authority over winds and waves? You know, this storm right here, I've got control. Or even worse, and this is what most of us do. Can you believe this crazy storm? I can't believe it. We need to get to the other side, and this storm, this storm could probably kill us. That's what we do. Hey, I'm in the same boat. I'm not standing up here saying that I haven't done it. I get a headache. Man, I cannot believe this headache. I wish this headache would just leave. I'm tired of this headache. I'm tired of barely making it month to month. I'm tired of having to hurry up and get my next paycheck because I've already spent the last one. I'm tired of not having enough. I'm tired of not being able to do this. I'm tired of this marriage that's falling apart. I'm tired of these people at work that are lost. And we talk about it, but we never speak to it. And Jesus, every time, commanded, rebuked, said to it. You have no authority without words. So we have to look at how are we handling the situation, because again, like we said in the beginning, we're not failing as Christians because we don't have the resource. We're failing as Christians because we're not applying what we have available to us. First part of it is because we're in churches that aren't teaching us what we have available to us. We have churches that teach us that uh, God sends suffering to get us back to him. We have churches that teach that Uh, God uses sickness to teach you something. 
So, of course, we're not going to start speaking to sickness when we're hearing, well, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? God, I trust in you. And he's saying, I trust in you. I trust in you to do what I've empowered you and equipped you and told you to do. That's why my son went to the earth. That's why I sent my only begotten son was so that you could take charge and control. He's saying, I can't do anything unless you are moving your mouth. And I feel the pressure that those pastors are feeling because I'm telling this to you right now. And I can feel the eyeballs looking at me saying, no, it's just easier to think that God's using sickness to teach me something. I know it's easier. Trust me, my job isn't simple to stand here and tell you that if you would give, if you would tithe, and if you would give offerings to the church and put God first, that your finances would turn around. That's not easy for me. Sometimes I wonder, why, God, did you put me in this position? But the reward is much greater because if you just do what I'm preaching and teaching and showing you in the word, your life will be that much better. Your life, all the problems will be answered. All the stuff will be fixed. And you'll be fighting these battles Monday through Friday and not having to wait Sunday to Sunday to get before the pastor and tell him all your problems and tell him all the hurts and tell him all the issues and hope that he'll pray with you and hope that he'll listen. And then go back home on Monday and not be able to do anything about it. I'm here to equip you. I'm here to empower you with the word. And that's the word of God that you have authority. He's already placed you in a position of authority. So now we got to learn how to demonstrate it. Now we got to learn how to walk in it. And the first key is what are we saying? Because uh, I'm getting too far. Getting too far. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 verse 1. You might still be hung up that, okay, that was Jesus. Son of the living God, he had all that control, he had all the authority, okay. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together, watch this, and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them, here it is, to preach the kingdom of God. And to heal the sick. Now watch this. This is what we do. We see that word preach. And you picture somebody standing in front of other people with a nice big podium and a, and a Bible in their hand and a microphone in the other or on their face like I do. And that's how they preach. But that word preach means to proclaim. That word preach means to say something. He just transferred the power and authority that he had. Remember, you have to be in authority to give away authority. Jesus came as a king. So he's in authority, which gives him the right to give away authority to 12 disciples. To have power and authority over all demons over all manner of sickness and disease, and to heal the sick. 
So he sends out his disciples and he sends them to preach or to proclaim or to say in line with the kingdom of God. Now, did it work? Well, let's go down to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned. Uh, Jesus, at another time, sent out 70 of his disciples. The 12 disciples weren't his only ones. Those were his main ones. Those were the ones that were closest to him. But he had other disciples, other people that followed him. You learn later on that they ended up fleeing. He said some stuff that was just too hard for them to receive. And they said, see you later, Jesus. You've gone too far. You crossed the line. And then Jesus looks at his 12 and says, you going to go too? But at this point, there's 70. And watch what happens in verse 17. The 70 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. To us in your name. Even the demons. So did it work? Did the transfer of authority to the disciples work? Yes. Verse 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, not literally, but that is, a, uh, that is an allusion to spiritual powers, darkness, wickedness, and over all the power of the enemy. Not some, not choice, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by shout, uh, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Why? Because that's where your authority lies. He's saying, look, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He fell from heaven to the earth. So Satan is in this realm. And he's reminded them, Satan is now in your realm. He's now in your territory trying to control and trying to take over. But I've given you authority over him. So don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in your name being written in heaven because that's where your authority lies. See, it doesn't, a lot, doesn't rely in us. The authority doesn't lie within us alone. It's through Jesus. It's through the one who transferred that authority to us. Okay? Now look at this. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. I'm trying to get used to Bibles, Bible pages not turning because we have so many devices that don't make any noise. It's just click and go. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, watch this, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. And be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. What does he say to do with the mountain? Complain about it? Talk to God about it. Ask God to take it away. You say to this mountain, speak to this mountain. Look, we all got mountains. He was in a region where he was literally able to point to mountains. 
There were literal mountains where he was. But he wasn't talking about literal mountains. He was talking about the problems and the things that arise in our lives that seem like mountains. Anybody got any mountains? We all got mountains. But what are you doing with your mountains? Remember we said when we were talking about words that if your mouth isn't moving, your mountain isn't moving. If you're not speaking to your mountain, it's not going anywhere. You can talk about your mountain all you want to. You can gripe and complain about it. You can ask God uh, and you can pray about it. But there comes a time where he has placed on us the responsibility and the obligation, the command to speak to the mountain. When we talk about the sickness, we talk about, we gripe and we complain about uh, the finances, and we, 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 we talk to other people about our marriage that just doesn't seem to be working out, and all along God is saying, that mountain will move if you will start talking to it. So you have no authority if you're not moving your mouth and if you're not speaking to the problem. Jesus always spoke to the problem. Well, what about the time when Jesus prayed uh, for Lazarus, when Lazarus was dead? Remember it says that Jesus, he right there, he stopped and prayed. You remember what he said there? John chapter 11, he stopped and he prayed. But his words were, Father, I'm not praying to you to ask you to raise Lazarus. He said, I'm praying so everybody around me will know that you are God. Then he got up and said what? Lazarus, come forth. He didn't stand up and say, now God, I ask you, to make Lazarus come forth. He didn't get on his knees and put his hands together and, you know, say this big, long prayer and cry and and have this big emotional fest. He just got in there and he just said, Lazarus, come forth. He spoke to the mountain. So we have to start speaking to the mountain. Now, Here's the last point I need to make when we're talking about your words in your words in the kingdom. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four. Verse one says, "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights afterward, he was hungry." Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. He's, the devil is realizing this is a man of authority. Here's the thing that, that the devil sees in you and I and that he saw in Adam and Eve and that he sees in Jesus. When he sees you, he sees God. Why is why, why did the devil get kicked out of heaven in the first place? Because he tried to be like God, to be greater than God. He wanted God to bow down to him. So the one 
that he was trying to overtake. Now he's surrounded by all these people that look just like him. When he saw Adam and Eve, he didn't see a man and a woman. He saw two people that looked just like the person that I was trying to take over up there. You're built, created, have all the characteristics, have all the abilities that he does. If I can take you over, that's like taking him over. See, when when our military goes out to other countries, they go out backed by the United States of America. And when one of those guys kills one of ours, it's not about that guy versus that guy. He doesn't know that guy. It's about the entire nation behind him. See, we, you don't even, we don't even see ourselves the way the devil sees us. And so we're wondering why he's attacking us so hard. We're wondering why he's trying to stop us. We wonder why he's bringing so much against us. I'm just this puny little guy down on the earth just trying to get to heaven. And he's thinking, dude, if you knew what you had, you'd be controlling this whole place. That's why he's attacking. That's why he's fighting so so hard. Okay, so Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. You have authority to command things to happen. So there you go. Verse 4, but he answered Jesus and said to him, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now he's even using the scripture against him. But verse 7, Jesus said to him, It is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Notice Jesus isn't given his opinion. He's not given his idea. He's not given his own comeback. He's speaking the word. But he's answering right back to the devil. And this isn't in his mind. He's not thinking this. He is speaking to the devil. Verse 8, again the devil took him up on a exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. He said, away with you, Satan. And where did he go? Away. He left. He departed. Okay? So that's Jesus' encounter with the devil. And Jesus responded every time with words that lined up with this word. We see that? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Let me say this real quick. Because I missed this earlier, but I need to say this. Your words qualify you. When, see, I know I could coach a baseball team. One, because I've played it, and I've been in the game for a long time. I understand the game. But 
I also know the terminology. And I know how to speak it. I know how to speak the game. I wouldn't get out there and say, okay, you, uh, you run over to that white uh, box over there, and then uh, when he takes that stick and hits that round, that white round thing with it, um, then you want to run from one white box to the other white box. Right? Oh, and then whenever you, if you hit it hard enough, and it goes over the fence, then you can run all the way around the bases. You can go to all the white boxes, and then you can come to the one at the end that's a diamond. You can make a full circle. What's an easier term for that? Home run? When you hit the ball over the fence, it's a home run. But I know the vernacular. I know the terms. Anybody flown before? Anyone been on an airplane? The captain does not come over. The pilot doesn't come over and say, all right, we're going to, um, you know, take this thing up in the sky and, you know, we're going to go kind of high up there and, you know, we'll probably take a little while and, uh, you know, we're going to leave uh, this, uh, you know, plane parking lot and then we're going to fly to another plane parking lot and, um, you, know, uh, you know, the temperature there is, you know, it's probably... Does he sound qualified? No. Are you starting to question who's sitting behind the yoke of this thing? Does he even know it's called that? Does this guy know anything? Does this guy have the authority? How about a doctor's office? And you get a nurse in there. And the doctor's, you know, throwing out terms. I don't know all the terms. But you ever watch those shows, real or not, they know the vernacular. They know the terms. They don't say... Uh, hand me that silver thing with the two prongs on it. No, there's a name for that. A suture is not, uh, you know, did you bring the sewing kit? You don't want to be awake during that surgery. I'll tell you what. Because you're thinking, get me off of this thing right now. All right, we're going to take this tube and we're going to stick it in this line and uh, is that machine work? I mean, they have terms that show that I have the authority to be in this position. I worked in a pharmacy for a long time. And probably one of the hardest things about working in the pharmacy was just getting the terms down. In fact, doctors, when they write prescriptions, they don't write real words. You get a prescription. I don't know if you've ever looked at a prescription. Maybe you get, you know, these days they're all typed out and everything, and it actually says on there, take one tablet by mouth uh, every day. But me, when I get that, first of all, it's chicken scratch because it's a doctor's office, and it says this, T-1-T-A-B-P-O-Q-D. T1 means take one. T-A-B means tablet. P-O means by mouth. And Q-D means every day. Q-4-H means every four hours. Q-O-D means every other day. X-10-D. For ten days. It's a mess. If I don't know that, I have no business behind the counter. 
and you're not going to make it very long because when you type it in the computer, you can't type out take one tablet, T-A-B-L-E-T. No, you got to know T-1-T-A-B-P-O-Q-D, and you got to know what that is. There's no guessing. You can't mess up with people's medication. See, your words qualify you. And we're not talking to the devil with the word of God. We're not speaking in line with this. And so he's thinking, who are you? You're not, a, you're, not in, you're not in charge around here. You're not in control. I'm not taking orders from that. Well, watch what happens here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He asked the question, did God not say, did he say that you could not eat of every tree? Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Okay. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, watch this, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I'm not going to go over there. It's in there. Trust me. And you can go back in your Bible and look. When God gave the command to Adam, he said nothing about touching it. He said, do not eat of the tree or you will die. So Eve added something in there. We cannot eat it. And she even put God's statement on it. For God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. She didn't know the term. She didn't know the word. She quickly identified herself to the enemy. We can get in here. This one doesn't know the word. This one isn't speaking the word. What should she probably have said to the devil? Probably should have said what Jesus said. Depart from me, for it is written, I shall not eat it, for I will die. Probably would have been a good way to go. But she opened the door with her words. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Sound like she studied that thing for a little bit. She saw all that in a piece of fruit. That's amazing. Sound like she stayed on something. Maybe meditate. Maybe, hmm. She pulled one of those. And be very careful what you, hmm. You're never going to get out of financial lack. Hmm. You're never going to get out. You're never going to get rid of these headaches. Hmm. We got to be careful with that. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Okay, we just read that. Go down to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, 
and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Here's the last point I want to make. What you speak in line with, you give power to. Here's why words are so important. Because that is where authority comes from. A king doesn't have much authority until he says something. He can be authorized. He can have a territory. But you're not getting anything done if you're not saying anything. If he's not speaking anything, he's not implementing any authority. So we have two examples. And I love it because... The same thing the devil tried to pull in Genesis, he tried to pull the same thing in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus. Same thing. He's trying to get access to your words. If he can get you to speak in line with him, he gets authority in your life. If you speak in line with the word, then you give authority to God in your life. Do you see that? Adam and Eve spoke out of line with this. He said, don't eat it, nor touch it. Well, that's not what God said. Out of line. And she just gave access to the enemy. Gave authority to the enemy. Jesus spoke in line with this every time. For it is written, for it is written, for it is written. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. For it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. For it is written, no one will serve any other God except for him himself. Depart from me. He had authority to tell the devil to leave him. Because he spoke in line with this authority every time. My parents told me all the time growing up, watch your mouth. And I'm telling you tonight, watch your mouth. It's very simple. Watch what you're saying. Take care for the words that are coming out of your mouth. It's just like they say, if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. That's the way to go because the second you open your mouth and you go negative or you go the wrong way, you just gave the enemy access through your words. See, that's why speaking in tongues is so important. That's why the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is you, no, you notice that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you power, one of the, one of the main things he changes is in your life is your words. That's why Paul said, and if you don't know what to pray, pray in the Spirit. Why? Because I'd rather be praying in line with his word. I'll tell you, every time you pray in tongues, you're praying in line with this. Every time. Because it's the, it's the infilling of the Spirit working through you. It's the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be speaking negative in tongues. You're only going to be speaking positive. You're only going to be speaking the right things. If I don't know what to pray, I'm praying in tongues, man. Because my words are power. 
and I want to give power to the right thing. If I don't know how to get out of this, I don't, God, I don't know what decision to make. So I, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. There's ones that are easy. I got a headache in my body. Well, that sickness has, that headache has no business being in my body. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I command that sickness to go. Headache, I command you to go. Simple. But should, should I go back to school? Uh, what, what should I do with my kids? Uh, where should I send them? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should, should I move it to where they're sending me? Or should I stay here and find another job? Those questions, those things you might not know, but don't you dare give access to the enemy in those situations. Well, I just don't know what to do. I'm never going to know what to do. I'm never going to be able to figure this out. I'm I'm never going to know. I'm probably going to make the the wrong choice. It'd be better for you not to say anything at all. Because that's what your words do. Your words empower somebody. Who are we empowering? Are we empowering God? Or are we empowering the enemy in our lives? Because he gets power every time you say, man, I'm never going to get rid of this sickness. Man, I'm I'm never going to know what to do. I'm never going to find a job. Nobody's ever going to hire me. I'm never going to be a good dad. I'm never going to be able to finish this project. I'm never going to find a spouse. I'm never going to be able to take care of my kids. I'm never going to have financial prosperity. We've got to be careful. I know Pastor Earl, and he's told the story thousands of times. But his dad, died when he was 18 years old. And he always said, he always said his entire life, as long as Pastor Earl can remember. However, I, I want to I say he was 50, 54, 55. Because his dad, Pastor Earl's grandfather, died when he was 55. Let's say 55, I don't remember the exact age. It's in the 50s. And so as long as his as long as Pastor Earl can remember, his dad would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to die when I'm, I'm not going to live past 55. He'd say that. And it happened. Died when he was 18 years old, right before he graduated high school. 55 years old. It happened. Well, that's just a coincidence. You say it then. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. You don't want to try it. Because you know there might, that might just happen. It's your words. It's what we're saying. Who are we empowering? All I know is I want to be empowering God in my life. I don't want to be empowering the enemy. I'm supposed to be in control of the enemy. So I'm going to watch my mouth. If I don't know what to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. If I don't know what to pray about, then I'm going to be praying in the spirit, man. I'd rather pray in tongues four hours than than say one sentence that would empower the enemy. I'd rather keep quiet for an entire day than say one time, I'm never going to get rid of this. I'm never going to do that. We have to be careful. 
Because words are how authority is given. I mean, when the teacher leaves the classroom, and if she just stands there and says, and then walks out, everyone's thinking, what was that? Weirdo? But no, when she points and says, Ashley, you're in charge while I'm gone. She transferred authority with her mouth. Jesus did the same thing. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Matthew chapter 28. All power and all authority. Guess what that means? If he has all power, that means Satan has no power. If he has all authority, that means Satan has no authority. Well, he seems to be having a heyday out there. That's because other people are giving him authority. See, the devil knows. The devil knows you have to be in control to give away control. So when he sees you, he sees someone who's in control. He sees someone who's in charge. You know, you always want to go to the head. You want to go to the you go to you want to go to someone who can make decisions. You want to go to someone who can actually change something. You ever have an issue and, and, and you call somebody and you're thinking, just get me to your manager. You're, you're just a, a salesperson. You can't do anything for me. Get me to someone who can make a decision. Get me to someone who can do has some kind of control. Because you don't. The the only thing you can do is. I'll get you over to my manager. Yeah, let's get me to the manager. Get me to someone who can make a choice. Get me to someone who can make a decision here and who can actually change this thing. Well, that's what the devil does with you every time. He sees someone in control, whether you do or not. That doesn't matter. He sees someone who's in control, and he knows the only way I'm going to get authority is if somebody gives it to me. He's having a heyday out there right now because there are flesh beings all over the planet giving away authority that belongs to them. Giving away control that belongs to them. And how are they doing it? By what they're saying. Well, this nation's never, never going to come around. This nation's never going to serve God. We better start saying something different or you can expect that to happen. We're never going to get a godly president. You better find your mouth saying something different our president, he, he's an idiot. He's, he's never going to get it right. He's, he's never going to. You better start saying something different. Bible says to pray for your those in authority. Partly because if it's someone that you don't want in authority, you would rather say something that can maybe change the situation than continue to make it worse. Otherwise, don't say anything. But your voice is the most powerful thing in the kingdom. The devil has been running has been having control, has been doing his thing because the church has kept quiet. The church has been allowing things to happen. It's time for things in the earth to start asking for our permission. It's time for hurricanes to start asking our permission. Can we come to your coast? Can I come destroy your home? Well, that sounds stupid. Jesus did it. Paul did it. We've got to start coming into this. We've got to start walking in our authority. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word.
We thank you for the power of our words. Father, we thank you that you have equipped us, empowered us, enabled us to operate in all the authority that your son Jesus has. You you have placed us at the right hand of the Father. You have placed us, seated us above all uh, things, above every name that is named. So there's nothing that should be in control over us. There is nothing that should have power and authority and dominion over us. So Father, right now, I thank you that through our words, we will begin to empower you. We will no longer give place to the devil. How do we give place to the devil? Through what we're saying. But we're going to start to watch our mouth. We're going to start to be careful of what we're saying. We're going to start to empower you in our lives. You are the supreme in authority. But you can't do anything unless we come into line with your word. Father, I thank you that we'll become studiers of your word. We'll begin to find out what does the word say about sickness? What does the word say about my finances? What does the word say about my marriage and my children and my home? What does the word say about my job situation? Instead of just speaking negative, instead of just speaking what we see, let's start finding out what the word actually says and then speak in line with the word. And just like your son Jesus, when he spoke to the devil in the wilderness, when we say depart, when we rebuke, when we command, those things will take place because we're operating in line with your word. Father, I thank you for this night. I thank you for everyone in the sound of my voice that has given their time and attention to your word tonight. I thank you that it will enrich them, it will grow within them, and we will begin to walk this out daily. In the name of Jesus, amen.